the wall is that place in life, that place in faith, where the methods we've used in the past for our faith uh, no longer work. The paths that we met God on previously seem to be closed now. We usually hit the wall because we can't reconcile something that's happening in our life with our faith. They seem to be at odds, and, and uh, sometimes that causes us to hit the wall. The walls where our faith seems to have hit a dead end. In other words, it worked in the other phases of my life, or it worked in the other stages of growth, but it just doesn't seem to be to work anymore. It, it carried me this far, but it doesn't seem to be able to carry me you know, through this. It's a crisis. The wall is where our will meets God's will face to face. Now, the reason we're doing this series is because um, if some of you have hit the wall and maybe you've come through it and you're on the other side. And so this message will be, con- this series will be confirming to you. Some of you are in the wall and uh, this message will be uh, guiding to you. Some of you, m- many of us probably have never hit the wall, but the majority of us in our lifetime are going to hit it. And so this is one of those things that you say, let me stick this in my back pocket and uh, when a rainy day comes, I'm going to need it. Uh, it's not, not, you know, everybody hits the wall at a different time. Everybody hits the wall in a different way. We can't wait till all of us hit the wall at once and talk about it uh, because it's never going to happen. But we, we can grab onto it and understand what it is. So that's what we're going to do. In Scripture, you can see Jacob, when Jacob wrestled with the angel, remember that? Then he came out and he came out with a limp. Jacob hit the wall. Uh, Job hit the wall, certainly. The poster child of the wall. King David hit the wall. Abraham, when God gave him a son late, late in his life, and he said when he was 12, now go and kill your son. Now this is a crisis of faith. In other words, the faith that allowed me to believe God when my wife was in the tent laughing at God that we're going to have a baby, the faith that seemed to work there, now that God's telling me to kill that baby, that faith doesn't seem to be working anymore. Something, something's gone haywire. This is the season in life where we say, I never thought I'd feel this way. I never thought I'd doubt this. At some seasons, we seem so certain, we seem so sure of what we believe, and then there comes a crisis, there comes, we run into this wall, and we say, I never thought I would struggle to believe God like this. Now, we talked last week about the stages of faith and kind of six steps. We looked at a certain model, six steps uh, or stages of faith in our journey toward maturity. The first stage is when we accept Christ. I'm just uh, glossing over these. The second stage is when we find our place in Christ's family or association with uh, identity with believers or a denomination or a church or a a charismatic leader, and that that, uh, influence seems to move us on in faith. And then the third stage is when we become highly productive. Uh, And then, then the fourth stage is where we start the journey inward, and we begin to realize that our faith has more to do with what's inside of us than what's outside of us. In other words, our faith can't be uh, entirely managed, or we can't grow entirely by what we do outside of ourselves. We can't grow by just doing all the right things externally. There's some internal things that are at work that are mysterious to us and hard to define and invisible. And somewhere around in there, either before that or just after that, we hit the wall. So, what do you do when you realize that your faith doesn't work anymore? I mean, you're praying, 
You're faithful. You're, you're not perfect, but you're living right. You're tithing. You're doing your devotions. You're going to church. You're being a good person to your family, and you're still stuck. You know, whether you know it or not, we all kind of come into faith with this unconscious contract with God that if I do the right things, if I obey the rules, then my life's going to work out the way I want it to. Or my life's going to work out really, 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 really good externally. The thing is, though, God never makes that contract with us. He never answers it that way. The wall is the most painful confrontation in our faith, and our first reaction to it is to avoid it. That's, our, that's everybody's first reaction. So we're going to talk about this morning, if you're taking notes. Our first reaction to the wall is to try to figure out how to avoid it. We choose how we try to avoid it or conquer it or defeat it or whatever based on who we are. So we've got some kind of things set up this morning to help us understand. You've got a, you've got a ladder here. Some of you here, when you hit the wall, if you've hit it, you'll try this, or if, or if you haven't hit it, when you hit it, you're going to find yourself trying this. What you're going to do is you're going to, try to, you're going to try to build a ladder and lean it up on the wall because you're one of those kind of overcoming people, strong and talented, and when you feel the wall start to hinder your progress, it sparks your independent nature, and you say, I'm going to climb over this thing. And you get a ladder, and you, you lean it up against the wall, and you start climbing, and you start climbing, and you start climbing. And the reason you're climbing is because you say, I've, I've, forward progress has been halted in my life. I know how to overcome this. I'm going to go over it. And that independent nature, that idea that you're in charge, you're in control, or you start to make these these uh, deals with God, you think by being good or by doing good, you can use your talent or your control or your influence or ability to, to, to keep moving forward because it's always worked before. That's how you've overcome everything in your life. This group tends to be self-made people. If you're a self-made person, in other words, maybe you didn't have the parenting you should have had. Maybe you didn't have the success you should have. Maybe you didn't have the start. But somehow you found a talent. You found a resource inside yourself, and you found you can use that talent or resource toward your good, and it has been very successful for you. Then you're going to tend to approach the wall the same way because that's the tools you have. So you crank up your determination and your talent and start climbing the wall. But you soon get tired and frustrated, and you realize it's taller than you thought. And you look up, and you have a Jack and the Beanstalk moment. And you realize the wall goes through the clouds in the sky, and it's impossible to climb over. You can never reach the top. What you have to recognize is, is you're not really in control of your life, and ego-centeredness has to be replaced with God-centeredness. Then you have the person that's the exact opposite. You have the person who says, I know I can't go over it. I mean, a sinner such as I could never go over the wall. I, I know what I'll do. I'll just get humble enough that I will dig up underneath it. I will dig, and I will dig, and I will dig. And this is the self-depreciating person. We keep putting ourselves down and putting ourselves down. I'm just humble. I was never good at this. I didn't think, th I didn't think this would work for me anyway. Our theory is we're going to get low enough that we're going to go up underneath the wall. This is a facade of fake humility. We try to dig under the wall, but then we realize the foundations are just too deep. 
We think, I'm not good enough, I'm not strong enough, I'm not smart enough, I've never been from a successful family, I've never been this. And we take on false humility, and what we need to do is come to a deep sense of God's unconditional love and acceptance of us, who we are. This means accepting that we have a self. And that self is God-created. And it's not wrong to have a self, even if you have a broken one. And by the way, we all do. Then there's, the, then there's the person who says, and you've seen this, just like a ball, you say, here's the wall, what am I going to do? I can't go under it, I can't go over it, that's not who I am, so I know what I'm going to do, I'm just going to begin to bounce around it. I'll bounce and jump from this thing to that thing to the other thing. This is the group that's filled with painful memories. Most often people who have shame or guilt memories associated either with pain in their family or pain in their church. Religious pain, spiritual pain, some, some pain has come into your life in your church or in your family or both, and, and oftentimes these memories do have a religious tone to them, and we use them as an excuse for rejecting God and finding other forms of spirituality. So we say, I hit the wall, God's not going to work, so what do we do? We begin to look at other things. We begin to look at psychic readings. We bounce over here, and we begin to look at different religions. We bounce over here, and we look at uh, uh, Eastern mysticism or something. We look over here, and we think about positive thinking. Look, there's an entire section in the bookstore, uh, a self-help section, designed for this entire group of people. How can I help myself? How can I get around this? And we bounce around, and we bounce around, and we bounce around. Positive thinking, humanism, good health, nature. A lot of people involved in compassion projects are trying to find their way around the wall. And what the myth is, is they think, if all of this fails, I'm only attempting to perfect my humanity. And we have to see God's love for our humanity, not as an attempt to uh, our way, we improve our humanity to become acceptable to God. That's not, that's not possible. You're already acceptable to God because Jesus died for you. So you don't have to bounce around and bounce around. Then there's another group of folks. Uh, this is a really popular one now. This is the group that begins to strategize, try to rationalize, try to analyze. This is the group that says, I'm not going to dig under it. I'm not going to try to climb over it. I'm not going to bounce around it. I'm going to outthink it. And so they sit and they strategize and they plan. I'm not going to waste energy like all these other hyper people around here. I'm going to analyze this. I'm going to figure out what it's about. I'm going to find out where it's made, what it's made of and where it came from and how it got here and what the chemical composition is. And then I'm going to begin to, I'm going to, begin to outsmart. And they actually think that the wall has a brain. And they, they then begin to debate with it ideologically. I, I know I'm going to outthink this thing. I'm going to outstrategize. Look, uh, there's a lot of people in our country today that are agnostics. Somewhere along the way in their faith, they hit the wall. And, and they, they think that this is a, this is a I'm going to outsmart this thing. I heard Larry King one time say, I would believe there was a God if I just had a little more information. If I just had a little more information. Come on, Larry. Last time I looked at him, he's like 150. How much more information can you have? I mean, he's breathing on death's door now. How long do you think you're going to live until you can gather all the information that you need? Agnosticism lives in this. 
This is the group that says, you know what? The more I think about it, I'm not even sure there's really a wall. I'm not certain it's even there. Maybe it doesn't exist. Maybe there really is no God. And this is the group, the leverage is to try to understand. This is the group that has to understand humility is the way we go through the wall. True humility, not intellectual arrogance. We have to accept God's will and resist the urge to debate. We must be a vessel filled by God rather than our own knowledge. Then there's the group, maybe you've met this group. They say, I know what, something gets in my way, I'm just going to hit it. This is a workaholic. I'm going to outwork it. You think that's a wall, I'll show you a wall. I'll build a bigger one, get on top of mine, and jump over yours. Right? 40 hours of work. I'll work 100 hours a week. I'll do whatever I have to do. This is the high-energy workaholic, but it isn't long before they begin to wear out and drive everybody else in their life crazy. This is the group that says, I can't build another wall tall enough to jump over that one. I've got to let go. I can't make it happen. Then there's, a, there's another group that's kind of like the intellectuals, but they are religious. They come in and they say, I don't think the theology of the wall is correct. I'm going to come and I'm just going to, I, I'm going to analyze this and I'm going to find their doctrinal issues and they're just going to drill holes in the wall and drill holes in the wall. I'm going to keep drilling holes in this until this thing just collapses. I'm going to, I'm going to get to the bottom of this. I'm going to understand this theologically. I'm going to understand this spiritually. I'm going to get to the bottom of it and I'm going to drill holes into it until it simply can't stand. Here's what happens when you take that approach. Every time you try to drill a hole in it, you drill a hole in yourself. You drill a hole in your own philosophy. You weaken yourself more and more. You drill a hole in your own perspective, and the wall stands there unmoved, unchanged, unscathed, and it doesn't talk back. It's just quiet. It just simply stands there. This is the person that has to rest in the mystery of God, in the intuitive guidance of the Holy Spirit. And then here's one maybe you never thought about. This is, the, this is the spiritual leader. This is the pastor. This is the, this is the parachurch ministry leader. This is the evangelist. This is the, guy that, this is the guy that everybody looks to for guidance and direction. Then he hits the wall, and he says, I know how to fix this wall. I'll fix this wall the way I fix everything else. In Jesus' name! In his own words... Echo, back off the wall, straight into his own face. And it doesn't move. And he says, I know what. I didn't say it loud enough. I'll power up this time. I'll fast before I say it. Does this wall not understand? I'm the man of God. I'm the man that God chose. I'm the woman that God chose. I'm the leader. I'm the spiritual person that everybody else looks to for information and guidance. And the wall just won't move. And how humbling it is for spiritual leaders to realize, just like everybody else, we have to deal with the wall. We can't just recite a verse we can't throw out a command, and it's just going to start to shake and go away. Why won't the wall move? 
Why won't the wall respond? Why can't we conquer it? Why won't it collapse? Where did it come from? How did it get here? And who built it? Here's the thought. You did. You built your wall, and I built mine. And the reason that it won't respond to any of the things that we try on it The reason it won't respond to the methods that we use that are effective everywhere else in life is because of what it's made of. The wall is made of your own will. The wall is made of my will. And it was formed one piece at a time. You can't climb over your will. You can't dig under your will. You can't bounce around your will. You can't build around your will. You can't outsmart your will. You can't drill holes in your will. You can't claim spiritual victory over your will. You won't let yourself get away with it. Your will is the one thing in life you can't shuck and jive with. It's got to be dealt with one-on-one. The only way to deal with the wall is to embrace it, to deal with it one piece at a time. The wall was constructed one brick at a time, and it has to be taken down one brick at a time. It has to be gone through. If you're waiting until you can make sense out of the wall, here's a key thought you want to write down. If you're waiting until you can make sense out of the wall, you'll never get through it. The wall is not rational, it is relational. It's not rational, it's relational. It won't move the way everything else in life moves. You have to press into God relationally. It is the deepest place of surrender that you'll ever go. It's where we finally give up our will and our control, and it's where our will meets God's will face to face. Look at Mark chapter 5. Did you ever find it? Mark 5, 25. There's a story in Scripture where Jesus meets a woman who was sick, and he heals her, but inside the story, there is an implication about her own heart that I think we mostly miss when we read the story that that reveals the human heart. Chapter 5, 25 through 30. And a woman was there, uh, Jesus was walking through a town and crowds were everywhere. Uh, you remember the story when he's walking down the road and the crowds are so thick that people are touching people everywhere and nobody, nobody knows who, who's who. They're just kind of trying to get through this crowd. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she got worse. She hit the wall. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once... Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Now, now, now I want you to, inside this story, inside this woman's approach to God, are a couple of thoughts that that I think are insightful for us to understand and why it's so hard for us to get through the wall. Let me give you these two things. Why do we avoid the wall? Why do we dance around? Why do we hit it? Why do we bounce? Why do we debate? Why do we scream at it? Why do we avoid the wall? I mean, it's very painful, no doubt about it. 
But, but what are we trying to get away from? Here's the thing. The first thing is we're afraid of the wall because we don't trust God. I mean, you, there's a trusting of God for, I don't want to go to hell, I trust God. But, but until, until that day comes, I'm in charge here. Like, I'm going to trust God for eternity. I'm going to trust God that I, 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 he's convicted my heart. I know that he loves me. I don't, want to be, I don't want to be not saved. I don't want to be out of his family. I want to be a believer. But I'm, but I'm going to run this. I'm in control of this. I'm in charge of this. And so we don't trust God. It doesn't take long to realize that dealing with the wall, we're over our head. We know it's more than we can handle by ourselves, and we're afraid that we're going to get in the middle of it. We're going to get in the middle of tearing it down, and God's going to abandon us. He's going to leave us. Why? We don't feel Him anymore. We don't feel Him near. We don't feel Him close. We don't have the feelings we had when we were younger in faith and we were newly saved. And we don't have those expressions coming the way they once did. So we get nervous about going through this because we say, what if God leaves me? What if I start this and I can't finish it because God leaves me? And we're afraid of His abandonment. Now, what this woman is saying in this story, I'm not going to trust God. Listen, what did she do? I'm not going to trust Jesus. I'm going to sneak up behind Him and steal a miracle. Right? I'm not going to trust. I'm not going to go face to face with Him. I'm just going to sneak up behind Him and trick Him. Here's the deal. If you read on the story, what happens when you trick God and it works? She went in and stole a miracle. She snuck in and took it. She thinks maybe he won't notice. Uh-oh, he did. Now what am I going to do? Who touched me? Ah. And the next few verses say that she came to him in fear and trembling. Now watch this. Here's the second thing. We don't trust God. That's why we avoid the wall. Here's the second most important thing I'm going to say to you today. We don't believe God really loves us. Fundamentally, in our heart of hearts, one of the dilemmas we have when we hit the wall is we come to this awkward feeling that the God that I thought that loved me doesn't really love me. Or why else would I be going through this? We don't believe God. Look, this woman believed in God's power. I know that Jesus will heal me if I can just touch his clothes. And by the way, maybe I can do it in a way where he won't notice. I believe in God's power. I don't believe in God's love. I don't believe in God's goodness. If he were good, I'd go up to him and just ask. But otherwise, since I'm not sure about his goodness or I'm not sure about his love, I'm going to have to sneak in under cloak or cover and steal one and steal a miracle from him. She believed he's all-powerful but not all-loving. Isn't that how we approach God sometimes? Think about it. We think we're too bad to be loved or that we need to earn God's love, but we can never quite really measure up. So, so don't we try the thing of oh, God. Lord, Lord, if you'll just do this for me, I'll quit drinking. Right? We start to bargain. God, if you'll just do this for me, I'll start paying my tithe every week. If you'll just, God, save, save grandma. Or do this, or fix this, or, or, or fix this in my life. God, I, I'll, I'll be a better person. I'll stop looking at pornography, or, or, or I'll stop talking about people, or I'll start doing this, or Lord, I'll be at church every week if you'll just do this for me. So we think we can earn God's love if, God's, if, it's, if God is love, as 1 John says he is, why do we think that we have to earn it? Why would it not just be his heart to do these things? Not because we've earned it. 
See, here's the thing. The degree that you try to manipulate God is the degree in which you believe that he's all-powerful but not all-loving. And so we try to go in and sneak attack him. One of the things we learn on the road to maturity is God can't be bargained with. God cannot be bargained with. There's only one bargain with God that has ever worked and ever will work. It is the exchange of the death of his own son for you and I. That's the only bargain that's ever worked. And no one will ever work. Why is accepting God's unconditional love so tough for us? Let me tell you why. Follow me on this. Because it means finally admitting that we cannot control God and what you and I all want in the core of our being ultimately is to control God. Isn't that what Satan tempted Adam and Eve with? If you eat this, you'll be like God. Yay, then I'll be in charge. And I'm telling you, I don't care what your personality type is. I don't care what your method of avoiding the wall is. The fundamental root cause, the fundamental root work of depravity in our soul is that we want to control God. And when we hit the wall face to face is a point in our journey toward maturity where we finally give up and realize he's too loving to be controlled. He loves us too much. So when we live under the lie that God's love, listen to this, is conditional. What happens to a person that says, I just don't feel like God loves me anymore? Have you ever said that? I don't feel like God loves me anymore. We wrongly believe that we can sometimes meet the conditions by which he'll love us and at other times not meet the conditions where he'll love us. And then we have the power again to shut God's love on and off like a light switch. I was good today. Click. God loves me. Oh, that was terrible. I shouldn't have done that. Click. God doesn't love me. So if you can shut God's love on and off, who's in charge? The lie is that I am. If God loves me when I'm good, but does not love me when I'm bad, then I'm in control. But I got incredible news for you today. You can't shut his love on or off. He loves you whether you're good. He loves you whether you're bad, because he won't change. He will not change for you. He will not change for me. I don't care what you did this week. He loves you. And part of getting through the wall is understanding it doesn't matter how bad I feel or how good I feel or what sin I did or what sin I did not do. His love is not, will not be harassed and manipulated and sucked into a human depraved debate like that. He has set a course for eternity. And that course says he loves you and he'll never change his mind about that. His love is unconditional. Admitting that God loves me. Admitting that God's love cannot be changed means that I have no control over it. And for most people, that's very scary because most of us, when we approach God uh, uh, early in our faith, we approach him on a works basis. I went to Sunday this week, so I feel good about my relationship with God. Oh, man, I, I, I slept in, I was tired, I skipped, I did whatever. Man, I feel terrible about my relationship with God this week. I didn't read my Bible. I didn't do my devotion. And it's all based on what's out here, and the journey to maturity is starting to look at what's in here and saying, 
God loves me. And when that happens, you ever get a person convinced that God loves them, and I'm telling you, the battle's over. When you get convinced that God loves you, now I'm not free from doing good things. I'm not free to do bad things. I'm free. And when you set a person free, good things flow from their life. A person who's been set free by love, they don't want to do bad things. doesn't mean they're perfect. It just means you get set free from those things when you're convinced God loves you. When you're bad. And you know what will happen over time? You... you Outside, things do get better and better and better. I'm not saying everything works out the way you want it, but your own works get better and better and better because you're drawing off a source that you've become convinced will never change. You're drawing off an internal reality that God's going to love me whether I do good or bad, so why not do good? What does it matter? I'm free. The reason we hit the wall is to grow our own faith. In the first three, three stages of maturity, we wrongly think, listen to this, you may want to make a note on this and think about it. We wrongly think that the goal of our faith is to make life work. Salvation is to make, when I got saved, I don't know about you, when I got saved, life made sense to me. And it didn't make sense to me before. And that's how I came to faith. In stage two, we, following other believers, following a church or a person or whatever, it gives us an identity. So on the outside, things are working. In stage three, we're beginning to be productive, where faith seems to be doing its greatest work. I'm producing, I'm doing good things for God. Man, I'm part of this group and that group and the ministry team, and I'm helping here and I'm helping there and I'm giving. And I'm, man, I'm, I'm just, man, I'm investing and I'm producing so much. And as we get to the wall, we realize that the goal of our faith is not to make life work. It's to have a deep relationship with God. Let me say it another way. Write this thought down. The goal of faith is not results. The goal of faith is love. That's the goal of faith. Faith does its work in you when you believe there's a God in heaven that loves you unconditionally. And you become a reflective mirror of that love. That's when faith does its work. Faith's not intended to work for us it's intended to work on us. Isn't it ironic that your path to wholeness and holiness and victory and life comes down to you and I accepting something God's trying to give us for free? What's our role? What's, I mean, we can't hammer it, we can't climb over it, we can't bounce through it, we can't dig under it, we can't drill it, we can't yell at it. What's our role? Receive. And in the end, as it turns out, using all these tools are much easier for us than receiving. Receiving becomes one of life's greatest chores. How do I just stop? How do I just throw everything I've ever tried to do down at God's feet and say, God, no matter what I feel, you love me. And there's nothing to do. There's nothing to be done there's nothing to be accomplished. There's nothing to perform. There's no task at hand. It's God, you love me. You just love me. I, I heard uh, David Lim, he wrote a book about spiritual gifts that was real powerful. One time say, he loves you because he loves you because he loves you. There is no why. Just because he does.
And when you let that thought soak in, it's powerful. I'm going to ask the uh, worship team to come. We're going to talk next week. Remember how I said this thing was constructed one brick at a time? Next week we're going to talk about uh, the name of the message is Brick by Brick. And we're going to talk about going through the wall. How do we how do we deal with this thing brick by brick? As I was praying this morning, uh, would you stand with me and prayer team, would you come? As I was uh, praying this morning, um, man, I feel like the Lord is uh, stirring. Stirring so much in our life to reveal His love. You know, People sometimes teach you, life circumstances sometimes teaches you, sometimes churches or spiritual leaders teach you that God doesn't love you. Nobody says it like that. But the, but the way people are treated or the way that your family treated you or the way that life circumstances seems to be treating you, it seems to just keep saying, see, God doesn't love you. You're out there by yourself. Nobody cares. Where's God now? And the enemy loves to just jump on those voices and make them so loud and eclipse everything else in our life. And it, it really is a profound um, experience to, to, to have God's love um, revealed to you. It really is a profound experience when you come to that moment where you say, God, I'm sorry, you know, I, ever, I don't know what I was thinking. You really, really love me. Most of us believe unconsciously that God loves us better when we do better. And, 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 that, and watch your own emotions. When you live better, you feel better about your relationship with God. Right? That's our tendency. When you live worse, you feel worse about your relationship with God. Emo your emotions are your thermometer. They measure this. They measure your theology sometimes. Not always. But you know freedom is coming. You know you've accepted God's love when you say, God, that was, that was terrible and that was awful. And I'm ashamed and I'm wrong and I'm sorry. But I'm not basing my relationship today with you on what I just did. I'm basing my relationship with you today based on what you did. And so it's safe. Let's pray this morning. And I believe today that God is specifically speaking to many of you to say, I love you. 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 Speaking individually, specifically, uniquely to you. Every eye closed. When, when I was praying this morning, the Holy Spirit said to me, there, there, there's somebody, maybe there's more than one person, I don't know. There's somebody in this room, you've, you've said, maybe you haven't said it out loud, but you've said in your heart, if God loves me, you said it this week, if God loves me, why is this happening to me? That's what you've said. If God loves me, why is this happening to me? And, and you've asked God in your heart, Lord, show me you love me. If you love me, show me you love me. 
I'm tired and I'm empty and I'm weary and I'm frustrated and I feel abandoned. Lord, if you love me, show me you love me. Somehow, why won't you show me? Why won't you talk to me? Why won't you answer me? And I just feel like the Lord wants you to know today, this, this is the moment you were asking for. This moment right here was the moment you were saying in your heart this week, God, if you love me, why won't you show me? This is God, God's way of showing you he loves you. With no one looking, here's what I want you to do. If that's you, if you've said that in your heart, what I want you to do, if that word spoke to you, you said yes. I, that's what I was asking God for. Would you just lift your hand and say, that was me. That was me. Just put your hand right up. That was me. I see your hand. And it may, this may be for, just for one person. Totally cool with that. Is there anybody else that you say, that was for me? That, that was what I said in my heart. That's what I said in my heart. And it was for me. But here's what I want you to do. I'm, I'm going to uh, invite you to prayer. And the person that raised your hand, I just want you to come and let the prayer team minister to you. In fact, if you're here this morning, you say, I just want to know, I just want to know what God is saying to me. I just want to know, I need to know God's love. I need to be reassured of God's love. I need to receive today God's love. If that's you, would you just lift your hand and say, I just, I need to hear from God. I need to hear God's voice. I need God's love today. I need God's reassurance today. I need God's comfort today. I need God's help today. Would you just lift your hand and say, that's me. Man, that's me. That's me. I see your hand. 